If you can turn to the back of your Trinity hymnals, to the catechism section, I know it's in the 800s. After the, there we go. 871, thank you. <coughs> We're looking at question 28 uh, this evening. We took a break over the summer, and it was great last week. Um, Scott helping us jump right back into our catechism study. Uh, as we make our way through these questions, we'll eventually make our way, Lord willing, into some of the Ten Commandments questions and a few others uh, throughout the school year. So... You saw that Scott helped us understand the Christ's humiliation last week, and so we turn now to his exaltation, as we just sung about. So let's read the catechism question together, and then the key scripture for tonight, although we'll look at a few, is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, which I'll read right after the catechism question. So question 28, let me read the question, and then join with me in the answer. <clears throat> Wherein consists consisteth Christ's exaltation. Christ's exaltation consisteth in his rising again from the dead on the third day, in ascending up into heaven, in sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and in coming to judge the world at the last day. And our key scripture from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, uh, starting with his humiliation, you'll see, and then moving to his exaltation. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Uh, God, I pray that you would bless our time as we look uh, briefly at at such a huge topic, Christ's exaltation. Uh, We pray that our hearts would be lifted up, uh, that we would be very worshipful even as we consider these matters. And it would pour into a a week of praise uh, to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so, uh, as we said, these, these categories are really helpful for us to think about uh, Jesus' life and ministry and his work. Um, certainly, uh, last week, uh, leading us all the way, his time here on this earth, and then the time he spent uh, in the grave before Resurrection Sunday. Um, and then we look now at his exaltation. Um, I was struck thinking about uh, this illustration might make more sense to some of you. If you've ever played a video game in your life, is there any nods? There's a few nods. Um, there, and, and this is true in stories as well, not just video games. But uh, there's sort of a, an archetype, a story structure thing that happens where at the beginning of the story, uh, so think video game or just novel or story, um, at the beginning the character is very powerful. Uh, they c- you could do almost anything. And so in, in the video game setting you play level one and it's, I mean, very exciting, but by the end of level one, everything is stripped away, um, because if you think functionally in a video game, it'd be very boring if you started at 100% power level, and that just continued throughout the rest, uh, so there's sort of a necessary stripping of that in a, in a video game setting, and then the rest of the game is sort of building back up to uh, w- what was there. We see that also in some stories, especially stories where the main character 
Um, it's usually a flawed main character who's very powerful uh, and perhaps does something very foolish. Uh, fairy tales do this often, and then they're stripped of their power or their status, and they have to, as it were, sort of earn it back. And so you can already sense the extreme difference between that sort of setup and what we're talking about with Christ, uh, because Jesus was not foolish and therefore lost his power, um, nor did he simply just lose power like it was sort of some quantity. Uh, but as we see in Philippians, and as Scott helped us understand last week, he willingly, uh, along with uh, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, conspiring before all time, this, this was plan A, he came, willingly was born in human flesh, I love how Scott said, even if he was born in a palace, it would still be a humiliation uh, compared to uh, what he had experienced. Uh, So living in a low condition, uh, living under the law, suffering the miseries of this life, question 27 remind us, suffering God's wrath on the cross, as we began to look at this morning, and then his death and being under the power of death for a time. Uh, Jesus willingly partook of all of these things. Um, it, it wasn't a punishment on him or something he had to um, make up for. No, this was the plan from the beginning. And now as we look at his exaltation, you, you, you start to see, um, uh, in one sense, the confirmation that the humiliation itself was part of the plan. Uh, it begins Resurrection Sunday, as we'll see, and continues to his ascension. We're going to look at his what's called his session and his second coming. We're going to look at those four things that the catechism helps us look at, and then we'll ask, what does this mean for Christ and his work right now? What is Jesus doing right now? And what does this mean for us right now as his people? And so let's look at these four biblical categories of Christ's exaltation. And uh, G.K. Williamson is one of the commentators I look at. He's very helpful. He has a visual of, uh, of steps. And so if you think of the humiliation, his being born, suffering, dying, under the power of death, then his exaltation is like the steps going up, right? So he's resurrected from the dead, step one. Uh, And we see this right in our catechism question. Christ's exaltation consisted in his rising again from the dead on the third day. Uh, Of course, Acts 2, 24, uh, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So he was under the power of death for a time, but only for a time. Or 1 Corinthians 15.4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You could see, you know, Corinthians being one of the the early letters to the church. This was already, people were talking about Christ's death and resurrection and ascension, uh, even from the very beginning. And, of course, Easter every year we emphasize, I think rightly, his resurrection. Um, But you probably know that we also call every Sunday Resurrection Sunday. Uh, because it it was such a momentous occasion when breath came back into the lungs of Jesus' body. It's such an incredible moment in history, unprecedented, uh, that every Sunday that that we think the Sabbath day changed to Sunday, and we see evidence of that in the New Testament. We gather on Sunday, not Saturday. That's how sort of life-changing, history-changing that this was. And so it's our day of worship. And remember... Remember this morning when Pilate talked about thinking he had authority to put Jesus to death or to not put him to death. Uh, And then elsewhere in John, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. 
this charge I have received from my father. And so this truly was the beginning of his exaltation, the reversal that we saw in Philippians 2 uh, as it starts moving toward every, uh, every tongue and every knee bowing uh, to him. Um, and Williamson helps us understand it was the answer to his prayer in John 17:5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And now God was uh, doing it. Uh, he was raising Christ uh, from the dead. Now, that's not the end of the story. That, that would be amazing enough, right, uh, that Jesus was resurrected. And, and by the way, not just like resuscitated. Um, he was resurrected into what we, what we call a glorified body. Uh, it was the same body uh, that went to the cross. Uh, uh, Jesus was under the power of, of death for a time. He's now united, soul and body united again, like we will be one day. And yet, we're, we're going to see it, he was the first fruits, uh, the first of what we will be one day, a glorified body without sickness, uh, without, um, uh, for us, without sin. He was already, of course. And so he's resurrected, and that would be amazing enough, but we continue, number two, to his ascension. Um, and we see in the catechism question, uh, you know, the rising again from the dead at the third day, that's step one. Step two, in ascending up into heaven. Uh, we see this at the end of Luke, which we'll see in just a few weeks, Lord willing. Um, uh, Jesus, it, it says, he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. What, a, what an amazing you know, close uh, to, to Luke's gospel as Christ ascends up into heaven. Or Acts chapter 1, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Can you imagine being one of the disciples? Um, you've spent, uh, we see elsewhere in Scripture, 40 days of Jesus appearing and speaking and teaching and fellowshipping with his people. Um, and now he ascends uh, into heaven. I mean, just imagine the sight um, and, and what you might be feeling. Um, but it, again, just to put this very concretely, uh, G.K. Williamson puts it this way. Um, sometimes it's good to zoom in and say, what was, what was actually happening here? Because uh, remember, this was Jesus, and he was ascending in the same, again, glorified, but the same body that went to the cross has been now raised from the dead, body and soul together. So Williamson puts it this way. He says, let's put it precisely. At a certain moment of time, at a certain location in Judea, the flesh and bones... And, of course, the soul of Jesus were lifted up from this world, just as truly as when one of our modern astronauts goes up from the surface of the earth. And when it happened, the earth was actually lighter by just so many pounds. If a photographer had been present, pictures could have been taken, just as in the case of any other real historical event. I think that's helpful. We, it, we've spent a lot of time arguing for the, the historical event of the resurrection and and, and, and the cross itself, but thinking even of his ascension, this wasn't a metaphor. He was truly ascending, um, as we see now, to his father's right hand. And so we have his ascension. Number three, we have what's called his session. Uh, that's where he met uh, once a month on a Tuesday with the other elders. <laughs> Sorry. English is funny. Uh, the root word here has to do with uh, being seated, um, uh, being seated uh, here in a position of power. 
And in the catechism, it says in sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And in some ways, this one would almost be easy to jump over and to say resurrection, ascension, second coming. And that's fine. Sometimes the Bible will do that. Uh, we'll, We'll use just a few of the steps to summarize the whole. But it's good that we pause here in our catechism and indeed our, our creed, the Apostles' Creed, help us pause here. And we see this in Scripture, Ephesians 1.20, uh, that he worked uh, working in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Or Hebrews 1.3, after making purification for sins, uh, that is Christ, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Or Luke twenty two sixty nine we saw a few weeks ago. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Um, this is pretty amazing to think about uh, Jesus being seated in this way. And it's not so much that we would picture a particular location somewhere out there where he is physically sitting. The, the focus is on his uh, position at the right hand of the Father. Um, uh, you know Philippians again puts it this way therefore God has highly exalted him bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father he's he's exalted in in a unique way now, in one sense, we could say that, again, he's, he's receiving the glory that he's had from the very beginning. He is true God of true God, right? Um, but in another sense, something unique has happened where Christ has come to this earth, fully God, fully man, uh, died the death on the cross, uh, was raised again, is the first fruits of, uh, of what it means to be, have a glorified body, awaiting, um, and we're awaiting that body, that resurrection at the end of time. And so that now... Christ, the God-man, is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And so again, just Williamson helps us put it in a provocative way. He says, thus we can now say that there is a man to whom belongs all glory and to whom must be given all the honor that belongs to God because this man also is God. So that, that relieves the tension. <laughs> right? Christ in his person uh, is a fully God, fully man, And he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, unique in every way. There's none like him. So that's that's his session. Uh, Number four, his second coming. Our catechism says, coming to judge the world at the last day. And of course, our creeds pick this up. The New Testament is just full of this expectation that Christ will come back again one day. Uh, uh, You know, Acts 1.11 uh, we've looked at before, uh, the angels after Christ goes up into heaven say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven, right? So they're looking up, probably wondering what's going on to some extent. Um, and, and they tell him, no, he's coming again. And then you see the apostles get to work, right? Uh, they don't just sort of sit down and say, well, he's coming again. Great. So you know, we'll just sort of wait a couple days. No, they know it's time to do gospel work. And in many ways, we're in the exact same redemptive historical moment as them. Pentecost has come. We're waiting for Christ to come back. Uh, There's work to be done. He could come right now. He could come in 100 years. We don't know the day or the hour. But our posture, Titus 2.13 tells us, we are those who are waiting for our blessed hope, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the posture of the Christian, active, waiting, praying, living, serving, um, looking, as it were, to the clouds in the sense that we know that Christ will come uh, back. And that actually in- encourages us. The, the Bible itself ends, right, um, uh, with some of these words. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon, Christ says. And we say, amen, come, Lord Jesus. Uh, that's the cry of, 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 of all the scriptures and God's people today. So let's ask two questions. We, we, of course, we could spend a, a different teaching on each one of these steps, and, and these are themes that we're going to pick up time and again because they're, they're a part of Christ's person and work. But for now, just thinking of them as a whole, uh, what does this mean for Christ and his work? Um, what is Jesus doing right now? Uh, question 23, uh, which framed uh, this section. Scott helped us remember that as well. Remember, it talks about the offices of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. And it said he executes these offices both in his estate of humiliation and exaltation. And so often, I think rightly, we focus on you know his prophet, priest, king, what it meant for him to come and to teach, uh, to offer forgiveness, to, to be the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sins of the world, to be uh, truly the king of the Jews, whether Pilate saw it or not. And yet now in his exaltation, his uh, ascension, his being seated at the right hand of the Father, he is prophet, priest, and king right now, actively working. Uh, Matthew, as prophet, Matthew 28, 20, uh, tells them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In other words, he he hasn't sort of disappeared and said, good luck, church, Uh, do your best, (laughs) um, We'll grade on a curve, and, and I'll see you when I see you. No, he says, he, he gives them a charge. Teach, baptize, go, do. You have things to do, but behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Um, so that, as we've said, when, when a faithful preacher is preaching, uh, Jesus himself is, is walking up and down the aisles preaching to his people. He, he is prophet right now. Every time you open your Bible by the power of the Spirit, you're hearing from God. You're hearing the voice of Christ. He is priest right now, Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Isn't that such a wonderful promise? What's Christ doing right now? He is living to make intercession for his people. He's praying on behalf of his people. He's working on behalf of his people. He's strengthening his people. And he's king now. 1 Corinthians 15, 25. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. This is that now and the not yet that we've talked about. He is king now. And one day he will be king in an unmistakable, undeniable, every knee bowing way. And between then, between now and then, he is actively reigning as king, putting his enemies under his feet, protecting his church, uh, sending the gospel to the very ends of the earth because he is king and head over the church. So Jesus is active now as prophet, priest, and king in his estate of exaltation. What does this mean for us? Uh, of course, the last question also sort of answers that, but Thomas Vincent and his work helps with two aspects here. As we think of Christ's exaltation, uh, one, it, it, it brings great assurance to us. Assurance of life, uh, like we sing, Jesus lives and so shall I. Uh, 
1 Corinthians 15, 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Again, he's, he's the first fruits, but he's not the last. He's the forerunner, uh, and, we're, uh, and we're behind him. Relative to history, we're close behind him. Um, we're united with him in his death. It means we'll be united with him in his life. Um, you know, if you, went, if you went bungee jumping tandem, um, no matter how terrifying the free fall <laughs> Uh, when your tandem partner is, be, I don't think this is a thing people do, but if you did it, as your partner is going, no, no matter how terrifying it was on the way down, like you are, you're tethered. Where they go, you go, for good or bad in that case. Uh, with Christ, and for good, he, we, we die with him. He has already risen, and so we too will rise. Uh, we'll follow close behind our Savior. And so it assures us of life, and number two, it motivates us to obedience. Colossians 3.2, there's many passages of scripture that do this, but Colossians 3.2 is a great example. Set your minds on the things that are above uh, where Christ is, not on the things that are of earth. Or Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We're united with him in his death. We're united with him in his life in the future sense, but also in the present tense. Uh, We have been given new life, new creation, uh, because we're united with him. That's why we could receive from him in the Lord's Supper. That's why truly we say by faith we're feeding upon him and and receiving all the good things that he has for us. And so we've seen that Christ emptied himself, willingly took on flesh, willingly suffered in this life, even the death on a cross uh, for you, uh, his people. Uh, he would truly died, was truly buried, and yet he truly rose again from the dead. A breath came back into his lungs. Uh, he, he has a glorified body, the first fruits of all the, to come, ascended up into heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, preparing a way for his people, a place for his people, feeding his sheep, protecting his church, growing his kingdom, uh, until one day he will return unmistakably, undeniably, uh, so that even his enemies will bow and say, you truly are the king, uh, not just of the Jews, but of all. And so how blessed it is for those who call upon his name even now uh, to receive every blessing and honor that he would have for us, even in the midst of suffering. Uh, This is what we have in Christ who died for us and also rose again uh, for us. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you, uh, even for such a helpful um, summary of what Christ has done for us and is doing for us, Uh, even as Christ continually lives to make intercession for us as prophet, priest, and king. I pray that we would uh, follow his lead this week, uh, that we would be strengthened uh, through his spirit, and that you would use us so that your kingdom would grow even here in this valley. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.